is that in every detail of life, sunshine and rain, God has everything under control. I learned that first as a little boy from Sister Geraldine DeCorn, who was over the children's choir in the church I grew up in, and she taught us to sing, He's got the whole world in His hands. And I encourage you to hold fast to that truth that in whatever season we find ourselves in life, God has everything under control. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our message with H.B. Charles Jr. as we're breaking down this prayer of Agar, as he shares with us how God has all things in control. We can trust Him. We can rely on Him. And when we pray to Him, we can believe that He has power to do what He says He will do. But first, we're talking more about theology and doctrine today. We're joined by Nick Tucker to talk about the power of God and the many voices come together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. All week long, we're talking about the doctrines of God. Theology means the study of God. We want to understand God, and that requires us to do a little bit of digging. We have to break up the rocks to find the diamonds that are inside. We have to do this hard work so that we can have comfort in the true nature of who God is. To understand who God is means that we must acknowledge that He is uh, His omni-attributes. He is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. He is omniscient, meaning that he knows all things. He is omnipresent, meaning he's always everywhere, that there is no place that God is not there. God being all-powerful is crucial, but there's also another attribute of God that he is immutable, that God cannot change. Well, how can God be all of one thing, but also be limited by another attribute? That's what we're discussing this week when we're joined by our guest, Nick Tucker. He's written a book called 12 Things God Can't Do and How They Can Help You Sleep at Night. And in this, it talks about things that God can't do. He can't lie. He can't learn. He can't change all of these attributes of God that are actually really a sign of his omnipotence. So Nick, this is a, a great challenge for us, and I love how you structured the book because you you talk not only about the ways in which God is is limited by his own nature, but also how Jesus broke those paradigms. So tell us a little bit about how you structured your book because uh, I really enjoy the way that you deal with all of these complex issues. Thank you. See, the, the the main chapters all focus on one of the twelve things that that God can't do, but then um, interspersed in at sort of uh, frequent but not regular intervals, I think, are, are these interludes in which we look at how Jesus, who is truly fully God, still did things that God can't do according to His own nature, and did those things for our salvation. So we start, in fact, with. Um, something that God doesn't do rather than something God can't do, which is sleep. You know, the, the Holy One of Israel neither slumber nor sleep. And uh, we're with Jesus in the boat on, on the lake, and he has to be woken up to perform the act of the Creator in, in silencing the wind and the waves. And um, it, just, it just struck me that once you start talking about these things that God can't do, you have to deal with the incarnation and you have to deal with um, how it can be that God ultimately could die. Mm-hmm. The, the, the one thing that God really, obviously in the scriptures, can't do, I am who I am, he is who he is for eternity, he is the living one, that's how the Greeks translated the Hebrew there. And um, 
and I wanted to sort of take the opportunity to to open up a bit of the sort of ancient uh, insights into into Christology, into the way that uh, God found a way to do things that He can't do, so that He could save us. Mm. Uh, and so each of the interludes sort of picks up on those things. It starts with it starts with sleep, and then it, you know the the first sort of God, God can't chapter is on uh, how God can't learn, mm-hmm. and so we talk about how Jesus went to school and you know had to had to had to learn things, and we're told that in the in the Gospels, and then you know we sort of progress through. Yeah, he, he, Jesus grew in stature and wisdom, and yeah. uh, it's kind of that's one of those befuddling things as theological con- conundrums, but. I think what is what is beautiful about this, and what you've done with this book, we've just spent uh, the, this month of May in the book of Proverbs. Every year we do oh, a proverb a day in May, and one of the things that, I, I love the introduction in chapter one, how long, O oh, simple ones, will you remain being mm-hmm. simple? The complexity of theology is far above what we can put into a a very succinct kind of order and events, and, and mm-hmm. you're allowing the, the structure of theology to kind of open up in such a beautiful way that allows us to actually think about these things in ways that we probably wouldn't have otherwise. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I, I um, It's funny, I was leading a prayer meeting this lunchtime. Well, I mean, it's lunchtime where I am. I know it's morning where you're. But um, uh, I was leading a prayer meeting. We were looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, mm-hmm. you know, and that extraordinary verse, you know, even the angels long to look into these things. Yeah. And um, there is there is a sort of depth and a, and a wonder to the gospel that actually I think the, the the more you know it, the harder it is to understand. Yes. You know, it's so simple. Like a child can understand. Jesus died for me. <laughs> he rose from the grave. He's taking me to be with him. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm a sinner. I need to repent. You know, it's so simple. You can explain it in three sentences. And yet, you know, the, the, the creatures that live in the presence of God, that have worshipped him, you know, from the dawn of time, uh, have gazed on his glory and his wonder and his beauty. I mean, what an extraordinary thing. And yet they're the ones who, uh, envy is clearly not the right word, but it's almost as though they envy the insight we have into God's goodness and love because of the gospel, because of the incarnation, because Jesus died and rose for us. Mm. You know, we've been lost and found. They'll never know what that's like. And and so I think, yeah, there is there is something about the gospel that is, you know, you will, I think we'll spend eternity going deeper and deeper into it. And I think that's just beautiful. Mm. You know, I've learned that as as Christians, some, especially someone who grew up in the church, and uh, from my dad was a pastor, so I spent my whole life in the church. You get these ideas, these doctrines, these these concepts. But what, now that I'm teaching them to children in my church, and I've got to rethink them to kind of kind of express them to a child. And I'm discovering so much more where I've overcomplicated things or even in some mm-hmm. ways as an adult, I've just rested on my laurels a little bit where I haven't mm-hmm. been able to unpack it for a child. That makes a huge difference when you're starting, as you were talking about, children and, and, and maturity and adults, the complexity of theology is really something that uh, cannot be, uh, we, we can't get to the depths of it. We can't get to the bottom of all of it. No, yes, I, I think that's right. I mean, in fact, one of one of the things I, I think I touch on in the book is is the sort of fear that some people have that eternity will be boring. Yeah, you know that that you know once you've climbed the Alps a, a million times and you know met everyone, um, you know eternity still stretches out ahead of you, um, and won't won't we be bored? You know, I I, I often 
have sort of experienced this when talking to people who are, who are really kind of curious and who love learning new things and who love doing new things and new experiences. And and they sort of, you know, they're, they're, they're sometimes insightful enough to say, actually, eternity is a really long time, isn't it? And you say, well, th- there is an infinite God mm-hmm. to wonder at and to glory in and to get to know. And I, I, I sort of suspect that the, the better we know him, the greater our capacity for knowledge will be. That seems to be, you know, the experience of the Christian life, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and that our capacities grow with our with our knowledge and appreciation of God. And um, imagine that going on for eternity, and you'll never get to the end of God. We've been talking with Nick Tucker, who's the author of a book called 12 Things God Can't Do and How They Can Help You Sleep at Night. A great resource, really uh, tongue-in-cheek with this title here. It helps us understand that the complexities of God's nature also reveal that He is truly uh, immeasurable power, but He is also immutable. He cannot change, though His limitations are always tied to His power, His holiness, and his love. A great resource as we continue to talk about doctrine and theology all week long. To find out more information and to get a copy of Nick's book, give us a call 508 362 7070. That's 508 362 7070 or head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today we're continuing our study with H.B. Uh, Charles Jr., and although it's no longer a proverb a day in May, we still find ourselves wrapping up this study as we're uh, breaking down Proverbs 37 through 9, this prayer of Agur as he is crying out to God uh, for neither riches nor poverty, but for God to do all that God says he will do, take care of us. Um, a remarkable prayer, one that really gives a testimony to the power of God. Here is H.B. Charles Jr. There are things that in sin we get ourselves into that we cannot get ourselves out of. Loved ones and friends cannot get us out of. But I have good news today. Our Father in heaven is strong. And by the sufficiency of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you are into that God cannot get you out of. Pray that God would remove from your life any attitude, any way of perspective on life, any sinfulness that would block your pursuit of godliness. But then there is another petition here. One and he prays that God would remove anything that blocks his pursuit of godliness. But then he secondly teaches us to pray that God would not give us anything that would detour us from the path of godliness. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, there is another prayer of one uh, character in the Scripture who was obscure. He's pretty famous now. Jabez prays that God would uh, bless him and enlarge his coast. But as he prays for that, he also prays that the hand of the Lord would be with him to keep him from evil. Jabez prayer finds its counterpart here, I believe, in the prayer of Agur. Jabez prays for a blessing, but then recognizes the inherent danger of the thing for which he asks, and then asks God to keep him from the evil that the blessing may bring. But Agur says, I'm too weak to pray like that. Lord, you know how weak I am, and I'm just going to ask you up front, don't give me anything that you know 
may expose my weakness or detour my devotion or, or damage my integrity. Don't give me anything that would detour me from the path of godliness. Listen to verse 8 again. Remove far from me falsehood and lies is the first petition. And then he prays, give me neither poverty nor riches. There's a twofold concern here as well. He says, Lord, don't let me be poor. Do not give me poverty. And Scripture does not say one has to be poor in order to be godly. Jesus just says in Matthew 6 and 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. My finances are, are morally neutral in and of themselves. One can be wealthy and godly and generous, and one can be poor and selfish and materialistic. The concern is the attitude of the heart. And here, Agar says, Lord, do not let me be poor. Then he says, do not, don't let me be rich either. He recognizes that there is some spiritual peril in both poverty and riches, how we need to be reminded of that. Do not allow me, he says, to be rich. Lord, keep me from riches. D.L. Moody wrote that getting riches brings cares, keeping riches brings trouble, abusing riches brings guilt, and losing riches brings sorrow. And it is a big mistake to make as much of riches as we do. He is right, and yet so many in our culture and many of who profess the name of Jesus Christ make too much of material riches. There's an old axiom that says the more money you have, the more problems you have. We, we've heard that and are not dissuaded by it in the least. We just kind of think I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. But how we desperately as Christians in this day and time need to take heed, especially as those who would serve the people of God in the church, we need to be reminded of the words of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, that those who desire to be rich enter into temptation and a snare and to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, and it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. Here, the writer says, Lord, do not give me either poverty or riches. If I can put a footnote here, note that he acknowledges that either one he gets, poverty or riches, comes from God. It is an affirmation of God's sovereign authority over every detail of our lives. He says, if I get a promotion or a pink slip, God is still in control of every one of the details of my life. Praise God for that. If it is any other way, it would mean that our lives are subject to luck and fate and dumb chance, or worse, it would mean that Satan is able to do things in our lives without God knowing or without God's authority checking him, or worse, it would mean our destiny is in our own hands. 
all of those are despicable ideas. Our hope is that in every detail of life, sunshine and rain, blessings and sorrows, God has everything under control. I learned that first as a little boy from Sister Geraldine DeCorn, who was over the children's choir in the church I grew up in, and she taught us to sing, He's got the whole world in His hands. Uh, he's got the little bitty baby in His hands. And I never questioned that, and I encourage you to hold fast to that truth that in whatever season we find ourselves in life, God has everything under control. And so Agra prays, give me neither poverty nor riches. And then he prays the same thing in positive terms. Still in verse 8, he says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. One translation renders it this way, give me only my daily bread. Do not give me poverty or riches, but keep me in a posture of dependence. Never allow me to get to a place where I fail to recognize that I need you every hour of my life. Keep me in a place so that I will never forget that you are my only source of help and hope and provision and guidance and strength. One of the great lessons about prayer in the Bible is that God calls us to pray about the impossible things. He asks us to pray with the seed of faith, and if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Now, that does not suggest that we should go around and do whatever we want. This is not some unlimited power that God has given to us that we can make things happen in our own will, but what he is saying is that we can tap into the power of God, and God can do anything. I was really challenged by this when I was in uh, college in my early 20s, probably back all the way back then, and I read a book by an agnostic who talked about uh, why Christians don't pray for the, for the amputees. Why don't we pray for people to have their limbs restored? Um, that really challenged me, not in the way that I think the author was intending it to, to be a challenge, uh, because it really showed that I was praying for things that I thought were within the realm of possibilities. I was praying for things that I thought, well, God could do it. You know, he could use medicine to cure the sick. He could, he could use uh, uh, his own power to, to re- re- relieve pain, but uh, he would use doctors along with that. And then I started to really question whether where my faith was in my prayer life. Was I actually praying to a God who had power to do things that I thought were impossible? What I realized is that I wasn't praying with faith. I was praying with uh, my own worldly perspective. These are the developments of faith, really, because they teach us to, to stretch our faith, to grow in our faith, to learn that we are crying out to God who created the universe. He controls every single atom in the universe. He controls every molecule. He is what is holding it together as well as bringing life into existence. So why wouldn't we pray to God when we have a great need? Do we pray to a God that we believe in? Are we praying for big things? Are we praying for hard-to-achieve things? Are we really leaning in and relying on God to do what is right, to do what is good? And how would we even know what to pray for if we weren't in His Word? It's not a one-way conversation. We can't simply be ones talking to God. We need to hear from Him. And that 
is why we need to be in the Word of God every single day. As we wrapped up our series of Proverb of the Day in May last week, or yesterday actually, um, I'm going to ask you a question. What are you going to do now, now that it's over? What, what are you going to do now to stay in God's Word, to study His Word, and to press on to grow in your faith? We'd love to hear from you. What are you studying next? Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study with H.B. Charles Jr. as we unpack the principles of restraint in our prayer life to really try to understand what the will of God is when we go to Him in prayer. Moses reminds the children of Israel not to forget God when you get into the land of promise. Don't forget when you were in the wilderness how God took care of you. Do not forget God when life gets good. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse. Again, Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 